All right, well, I'm just going to sabotage the stage here and stay. Uh, I am so blessed to be able to share the message with you this morning as we continue this journey through Ezra, Nehemiah. Um, over the past few weeks, we've been uh, watching the Jewish people as they transit from captivity in Babylon back to freedom in their own land, in the land of Israel and to the city of Jerusalem. And as Pastor Danny and last week Pastor Buzz have led us, we've seen them uh, in coming back to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. They reestablished the religious rituals of their lives there. They tried to restore some civic uh, life as a community in their own land as well. And last week, Pastor Buzz showed us how Nehemiah rallied all of these people in Jerusalem at that time to rebuild the wall around the city of Jerusalem. And all along this journey that we've been on with the Jewish people back to their homeland, we have seen successes and setbacks, haven't we? If you've been here or if you've listened online, there have been successes in the the endeavors of the people, and there have been setbacks in their endeavors as well, both in their religious life and also in their national life. And we've seen that right on the heels of amazing successes, there were fumbles, there were flops, there were downright failures. And sometimes these fumbles, flops, and failures were the result of leaders among the people who grabbing the situation around them in their own hands and with their own zeal and their own uh, wisdom have made mistakes that have set this revival back that the people were hoping for, were expecting. That's why we entitled this series of messages the revival that almost was. It almost happened. So up to now, we've heard from Pastor Danny, we've heard from Pastor Buzz, and a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks in the early part of this series, Pastor Danny used a phrase that kind of stuck in my mind, and that phrase was a recipe for revival. Is there such a thing as a recipe for revival? Revival is a re revitalization of life, right? A renewal of life. Is there a verse? Is there a passage? Is there a recipe for revival in God's Word? And I started to think about that as I prepared this message today. And I feel like I drew the, the, the lucky card when it came to which message I got to preach in this series, because this is the passage that we're going to look at today where it feels like it's actually going to happen. There's actually going to be a revival among God's people. So in looking for that uh, recipe for revival, I was thinking about, I hope I can find that, and then we can compare it to this passage that we're going to look at today in Nehemiah. And I think I actually found it. I think the Holy Spirit brought it to my attention. And it's a scripture that I would say to many of us is familiar this is not something we haven't heard before or we haven't been convicted by before. A recipe for revival. 
So whether it's a revival in your spiritual life, whether it's a revival in your marriage or in your family with a relationship with children or grandchildren, extended family, whether it's a revival in your personal spiritual life, your commitment to purity in your spiritual life, perhaps it's a revival there, or maybe it's a revival among God's people corporately in a community of faith, in a church like Three Crosses. Could there be a revival in our church? So what's that verse? Where is that recipe? Well, you can find it in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Does that sound familiar? Well, here's what it says. You'll see it on the screen behind me. If my people, God is speaking here. God is speaking. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Does that not sound like a recipe? And the outcome is forgiveness and healing. The delicious end product. Forgiveness and healing. That's revival, isn't it? That's renewal. That's revitalization. So there it is in 2 Chronicles. So today, as we look at Nehemiah, chapters 8 to 12, we're going to highlight some places where we see these different ingredients being applied by God's people and hopefully leading them to the revival that they were waiting for. They, it seemed like they were on the cusp of something amazing in this section. So picking up the story from Pastor Buzz uh, last Sunday, in Nehemiah 8, as we already mentioned, the monumental project of building the city wall around the city of Jerusalem had been completed. That was, such, that was such an endeavor for God's people. And there was opposition even in that experience of rebuilding that wall. But finally, they completed the wall. So in chapter 8, verse 1 of Nehemiah, it says this. All the people, that's all the Israelite people in Jerusalem at that time, came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So they were ready to hear what God had to say in response to all that had happened to them from the time they came back to Jerusalem from Babylon up to this very moment in the completion of the wall. It seemed like everything was in place, so we need to hear from God. So they told Pastor Ezra, go get your Bible, go get your scroll, and let us hear what God has to say. So in verses 5 and 6 of Nehemiah 8, it says, Ezra opened the book. He unrolled the scroll. All the people, it says, could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They had a praise celebration for all that God had done, and then they bowed down with their faces to the ground. And here I think we find the first ingredient 
in the recipe for revival. They humbled themselves. They bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The recipe in 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people humble themselves. That's the first step. That's the first ingredient. In Nehemiah 8.6, it tells us that's what they did. They bowed down with their faces to the ground. They humbled themselves. We want revival. This is an essential ingredient in revival, whether it's personal or corporate, whether it's private or community. If we desire revival, humility in front of God must be our only posture. So in our study so far, Pastor Danny and Pastor Buzz We've already seen some of these questionable responses, these questionable, questionable initiatives, these questionable interpretations to the circumstances around them, especially among the leaders. Questionable at best and downright foolish at times, what they decided to do and how they decided to move forward. Sometimes we think we have it figured out, don't we? We think we know what to do to make things better in our situation, and we move ahead. We move out with that conviction, all to find that it wasn't the right way to go in the first place. So to, to see true revival, we have to recognize our inadequacy. We're not God. He is God. We're not God. Our role is to operate in humble submission to his will and to his purpose, not our will, not our purpose. So from the looks of things, in verse 6, the people humbled themselves. So the first ingredient, humility, a posture of humility before the Lord. And now that leads us to the second ingredient, which grows right out of that humility. They confessed their sins. If we turn the page to chapter 9 of Nehemiah, in verse 2, it says, They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. And then in verse 3, it says, They stood where they were and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of a day and spent another quarter in confession and worshiping the Lord their God. How many hours is that? A quarter of a day right? So they had a worship service that was 12 hours long. Half of it was spent in doing what? Listening to God's word. And the other half of it was spent responding to what they heard in confession to God. That's quite a church service. They confessed their sins, it said, personally, their personal sins. And they confessed their ancestral sins sins. When I was looking at this, I was thinking about our recent history here in the United States in the past two years. We've been hearing about this, haven't we? The need for us as a nation to confess societal sins, ancestral sins, right? So it's personal and it's corporate, this confession, this ingredient in the recipe for revival. If my people who are called by my name, will turn from their wicked ways. 
Confession is the first step in that. Turning from our ways, our wicked ways, starts with confession. That's called repentance. Leaving the past and walking the other way. And there's a beautiful promise in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, about confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God promises us forgiveness if we confess our sins. So they humbled themselves and they confessed their sins. Then thirdly, the third ingredient in revival, they sought God's face. They sought God's face. If we keep on reading, in verse 5 of Nehemiah 9, it says the Levites, they were the religious leaders, the Levites said, stand up to all the people, praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. You have humbled yourself on your face, you have confessed your sin, God has been faithful to forgive you, now stand up and give praise to God for what he has done for you in his amazing mercy and grace. They sought God's face. If my people will seek my face, God says. One of the ways that we seek God's face as his people corporately is what we've just experienced and what we are experiencing now. Praising him in worship, hearing from his word, praying, confessing our sins, right? This is the way that we seek God's face. We recount for one another God's goodness, his faithfulness, his sovereignty over our circumstances, over this world. We seek his face. That's why we're told in Hebrews 10.25 that we're not supposed to neglect the assembly of God's people, but we are to come together. It is God's will that we gather as his people to edify, to build each other up, and he promises in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me, God says, and you will find me when you seek me half-heartedly, no, with all your heart. You seek God with all your heart and he promises, I'm not going to hide from you. You will find me. So seeking the Lord together as God's people is part of the recipe. And that's what the people of Israel did in Nehemiah's time. They recommitted themselves to the corporate life of worship and following God's law. And then fourthly, we see from this passage the fourth ingredient in the recipe for revival. They committed themselves to obedience. So as we come to chapter 10 of Nehemiah, we see the people of Israel making this solemn oath, a solemn promise corporately that they are going to faithfully follow God's law and they're going to obey his commands. This is their resolve. They're going to change directions. They're going to confess their sins. They're going to walk away from their disobedient, rebellious life and they are going to follow God's law. Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 28 to 29 records it this way. The rest of the people, that means all the people, they joined with their leaders and bound themselves with an oath they swore a curse on themselves if they failed to obey the law of God as issued by his servant Moses. They solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands and regulations and decrees of Yahweh, our Lord. 
They promised on oath, calling a curse upon themselves if they didn't. And then following chapter 10 in, verse, in chapters 11 and 12, we find some long lists of names and families that came alongside the religious leaders in that time and said, we're going to join you in this oath, this commitment, this promise to following God. They looked at this beautiful wall that had been completed to protect their city, and they celebrated and rejoiced in God's goodness to them. That after decades of time, the promise of Jeremiah had finally come to fulfillment. They were back in the land. So at that time, it seemed like all was right with the world. It seemed like all was right with the world. If you're familiar with the Bible Project app and the wonderful teaching that is there, then you'll know the name Tim Mackey, who is one of the co-founders of the Bible Project. And he does a four-hour uh, lecture on Ezra Nehemiah, which is mind-boggling. Uh, I watched it. I encourage you to watch it if you're interested in diving deeply into this study of Ezra Nehemiah. But Tim Mackey said that if the book of Nehemiah ended with chapter 12, it would seem to be a victorious, they did it. They did it. They returned to God in repentance. They committed themselves to following him and his law and the revival that they had hoped for, that they had prayed for, that they had longed for, finally came and it was sustained and they lived happily ever after, if Nehemiah ended with chapter 12. But there's an unlucky 13. Chapter 13. There's another chapter left in this book. And I don't want to steal Pastor Danny's thunder as he wraps up this message, this series, next week. But in chapter 13, we see these false starts we see these mess-ups. We see that revival is still a bumpy ride. We see that revival is still full of peaks and valleys. And is that not life? Is that not life? That's what we're going to see next week. The struggle continues for revival. But today, we leave off with seeing 2 Chronicles 7.14 as the recipe for revival. The recipe is nonetheless effective. It's not because of a fault in the recipe. It's a fault in the, on the part of those who are doing the cooking, right? It's like Pastor Danny shared with us about putting salt in the chocolate chip cookies instead of sugar in the chocolate chip cookies. So once the ingredients are all in, and once the right ingredients are all in, what happens in the oven is what makes it right, correct? Is not, if that's what completes the process. The fire does the finishing. And within us, within us, the fire of revival is the fire of the Holy Spirit, right? God is the one who brings revival. God is the one who sustains revival. God is the one who sustains his people. Psalm 127 verses 1 and 2 says it this way, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. 
Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. And may I add, unless the Lord watches over the ovens, the bakers bake in vain. Revival is not our responsibility. We have no power to bring forth revival in our own life or in the life of our community of faith. It is God who does that. We can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Boy, that's a downer, isn't it? But here's the good news. We as Americans, we like our stories to end, they lived happily ever after, right? Well, here's the happily ever after. Our spiritual life ebbs and flows all through life, whether we're talking about individuals or we're talking about the spiritual life of a community of faith. The, the, the vitality of our spiritual life, it ebbs and flows through the seasons of our lives. Just like this last year and a half or so, right? Man, there's been an ebb there, has there not? Right? That's normal in spiritual life. Sometimes we feel like we are on the mountaintop in the glory of his presence, right? At other times, we feel like we're in the desert where the sand is blowing so hard that we've lost our view of God, right? You may be there today. That's a normal rhythm in the Christian life. So what does that mean? That means that we can't put our hope in ourselves to revitalize our own lives, to revitalize our family's life, or to revitalize the life of our church community. God is the only one who can bring revival. We need to follow the steps of the recipe and then we will find revival. Let me leave you with one last verse that I think will instill hope within us as we leave in the midst of whatever our personal struggle may be or whatever it might be we as the family of faith here are going through at this time. Lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 and 24. Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed. Remember the message that Danny preached? We made it. Barely. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. He is the final ingredient. The Lord is our portion. So today, if your life is falling apart, if your family's life is falling apart, I challenge you, read 2 Chronicles 7.14 in the context of that mess. If you see our church in need of focus and you want to come alongside our church and pray, Pray according to the recipe in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, that we would apply those ingredients to the brokenness of our personal life or our corporate life and watch God do what only God can do in bringing revival to his people. Pray with me and then we will worship together.